to get you caught up to where we are in the Scriptures. Peter had denied the Lord three times. And Jesus even said to Peter, before the crop crow, you will deny me three times. There was a woman that, that saw Peter. And she says, this man right here, this man Peter, he knows Jesus. He says to her, woman, I do not. Then another man came and says, Hey, this man right here has been running with Jesus. He says, man, I don't know him. And within the same hour, somebody else came and said, surely this is the truth. I have seen him with Jesus. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. About that time, the crop crew. And then Peter, the Bible said, Peter wept bitterly. For he realized what had just happened. If we remember, Peter was the same man that stood up and got angry whenever people tried to grab Jesus. And in his anger and in his haste and just in, in just who he is, he took a sword and he, he swung at a man's head and missed his head and got his ear. I mean, he was ready to defend the Lord one minute. But Christ knew Peter's heart and said, you're going to serve me as long as it makes you look good. But whenever you actually have to be identified with me, you're going to deny me. I mean, this is the same man. And so here, Peter denies Jesus. They blindfold Jesus and they make fun of him. And as they blindfolded Jesus, they hid him. And they said, prophesy. Since you're the Christ, tell me which one of us hits you. They're making fun of him. They're treating him worse than a dog. And so, as they're making fun of him, they hold him. And then they have an early trial. And they bring him before Pontius Pilate. And Pilate asked him some questions. He says, are thou the Christ? Are you the Son of God? Are you the Son of Man? Jesus understands his Miranda rights. He said, I ain't speaking. He said, I ain't confessing to nothing. He says, if thou sayest. Because earlier, the night before, he said the same thing. If you say I'm the Christ, then I'm the Christ. He realized that if he actually publicly proclaimed, yes, I'm the Christ at this point, in this moment, he realized the charges that would be brought against him. But he had to show us, he had to show us and teach us this story of the three crosses and how humans perceived Christ. So then Pilate, being a people pleaser, says, well, he ain't really done nothing, but these people are yelling out crucify him. What do I do? I tell you what, he's not even under my jurisdiction. He's under Herod's. At this point, Pilate and Herod, they have not been friends. But then Pilate sends Jesus to Herod, and Herod's excited. He's like, Herod's like, I've heard all about you. You've been all over the hillsides of Galilee. I tell you what, man, I've been waiting to see some miracles. From you. And he asked him, Who are you? are you? Are you guilty of these charges? Are you guilty because they charged him for perverting the nation? It's earlier in chapter 23. And they charged him for not rendering unto Caesar's that which was of Caesar's. But Christ, at this point, said nothing to Herod. Well, later on in chapter 23, you'll see that Herod and Pilate become friends for the first time. 
Let me pause and say this. It's amazing. It's amazing how your enemies will flock together. They might not know each other, but if you have an enemy and they find out they don't like you, well, your enemies will become friends. And that's just the reality of things. But nonetheless, there's a man named Barabbas. Barabbas tried to overthrow the government. I think we all know a couple of those kind of crazy people. And he was one of those crazy people. And he tried to overthrow the government, and he killed a man while doing it. And there was a feast that was coming up. So the ball's back in Pilate's court, and he says to the people, which man do you want me to let go? This murderer? This man that's conspiring? Or Jesus? They wanted Jesus crucified. He says he's not guilty. What he's done, what we're trying to charge him with, does not meet the elements of the crime. I can't, I can't give him that punishment. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll drop the charges to a lesser degree. I won't kill him. I'll just chastise him. They said that's not good enough. You might have chastised him, but we want him crucified. My friend, crucifixion was the most humiliating, awful, disgusting form of punishment. They said it ain't good enough that you whipped him within an inch of his life. It ain't good enough that you took that cat of nine tails with the spikes of the bones and when it went into his skin, it ripped out his flesh and blood started gushing. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. Crucify him. And so we find ourselves in the passage today where we began reading. And where we began reading, we saw where he was being led up a hill. Now before Jesus starts to go up this hill, there was a man named Simon. A Syrian. Which is known today as part of Libya. The northern part of Africa. This man named Simon showed up. Don't know why he showed up. I can only speculate. But I believe he wanted to see the Lord. And he helped the Lord carry that cross up that hill. Finally, they get up to the top of that hill and they crucify Him. There was a man on the right. There was a man on the left. And here it is. The betrayal of all mankind. They mocked Him so much that they put a superscription in front of Him. So that everybody from any language that was there to see Jesus, they can see how they felt about the Lord. It's amazing to me that at the beginning of the whole trial, the mockery was really in full force with the chief priest and the scribes. It's amazing to me that it was the soldiers that mocked him. It was amazing to me it was the citizens that mocked him. It's amazing to me that the government mocked him. It's amazing to me today preachers will stand behind pulpits and still mock him because they water down the Word of God and they don't preach Christ crucified. It's amazing to me how our government no longer wants the Lord Jesus Christ in our school system. It's amazing to me how we can talk to any kind of generic God, but the one true living God, we don't want to talk about. It's amazing to me how soldiers or, or how civilians or how whoever, they all mock God today. My friend, this story may have happened 2,000 years ago, but it's just as applicable today as it was then. 
I want to draw your attention to those three crosses for a moment. Let me show you the first cross. It's the cross of redemption. It's that middle cross. As we look at these three crosses here on Calvary's Hill, we'll see that there's one that's dying for sin. We'll see there's one that's dying to sin, and we'll see there's one that's dying in sin. It's all about sin. Sin is ugly. It's terrible. It's what separates humans from God. The middle cross is the first that we're going to mention. And when we look and examine that middle cross, it's the cross that Jesus is on. I see firstly when we examine that cross, I see that the law of God is fully satisfied. Why did Jesus go to that cross? Well, from the human perspective, He deserved it, right? Of course not. Of course not. Even Pilate knew. The government knew. There's nothing wrong with this man. We can't accuse him. He's not worthy of these charges. The man whom I believe to be on his right says this man has done nothing amiss. He went for you and I, friend. It is my sin that put him there. It is your sin that put him there. And in the Old Testament, they required the shedding of blood. He fulfilled the law by going to that cross. By Jesus' death on that Roman cross, it met every demand of the law. And it satisfied justice for our sin. But I also see love that's truly manifested. Isaiah said this. Isaiah prophesied about this. He said this in chapter in Isaiah 53 and 6. He says, all, that's everybody, all we like sheep. What have we done? We have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. Humanity still wants to live a life without Christ. Humanity still wants to get just, to clo- just close enough to God to, to, to just slowly warm up to a lukewarm state, but they never want to be consecrated to Him. They never want to live for Him. They don't want to live in His will. They, they, they just want enough religion to stroke their ego, and that's it. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned our own way. We don't need God anymore. We are no longer dependent on Him. And because of that, that's led to sin. And God laid all of our sins on Him. On Him. There's no double jeopardy. When we stand before God, we're not tried for our sins as saved people. We're not tried for our sins. There's no double jeopardy. You can't try us again because they've already been paid for. But for those that are saved, I know the difference between the great white throne judgment and the Bema seat. For those that are saved at the Bema seat, we'll still stand account for what we've done, but we're not tried for our sins. We're tried for our works. Amen. I see also our Lord's obedience to the Father's will. This is the first saying on the cross. This is the first saying. He says, Father, forgive them. I'm glad I'm not the Lord because I wouldn't be saying, Father, forgive them. I'd say, Father, you get them. You get them all. That's me. That's Josh. But we don't have a Savior like Josh. We have a Savior like the Lord And the Lord knew our helpless estate. And He looked at those that was mocking Him. He's saying, God, they're deceived by the devil. 
that they have been influenced by the world. Even the religious people have caused confusion. They don't realize that I'm the Son of God and man. Father, forgive them. They don't understand. And here he is, and he's he's being on the he's stretched on the on the cross. He's being tortured. He, he's crucified. He's crucified. And he yells, Forgive them. Oh, what a savior. Oh, what a love He has for us. As wicked and as rotten and as nasty as we are, He still chose forgiveness. What a Savior He is. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He says, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Now, I touched on this doctrine a little bit last Sunday night. We talked about where His body went, where His spirit is, right? We, we talked about that. But what he's ultimately saying is, Lord, thy will be done. He says, Father, thy will be done. It still shows that model of a Christian life. No matter how the world's treating you, no matter who's doing you wrong, no matter the situation, choose forgiveness and give it to God. I think, I think that's so passionate of him to do. We see that. You know what I found amazing? Is that there he is on that cross and he's talking to the people that's below him saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, have mercy on them. Be patient with them. I think he was also saying that about the man on the right and the left. Lord, Father, be patient with them. Let's give them an opportunity to have faith and salvation. Crucifixion is not instant. Most of the time it's not. And all three of them hung on that cross and suffered. We see the second cross. The middle cross is Jesus. We see the second cross. I like to say it's the, it's the cross of rejection. Or Satan's if. Look at verse number 39 with me for a moment. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying, If, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Earlier, the Roman soldiers were mocking him saying, If you're the Christ, go ahead and save yourself. This man that was on what I, what I believe to be Jesus' left side, I'll explain why that is in a minute. This man of whom I believe to be on Jesus' left side was influenced by those around him. And here he is dying for his sin, literally. And he's still given a choice. And he still chooses to reject him. Don't doubt him. Don't doubt him. He is Lord of all. And he had doubt. I think in his doubt came the frustration and the anger. Well, if God's really real, why would there be cancer in the world? If God's really real, why would he allow just evil to happen? That was that malefactor. He said, Preacher, what is a malefactor? To put it in United States law, it would be a felon that's charged with some of the most heinous crimes. One of the worst criminals out there. 
And there Jesus is between two felons that have committed atrocities. We see that. I saw that cross of rejection and it was as if that man was saying, Lord, or not really Lord, but he's, he's saying, all right, Jesus, he's, if you're really who you say you are, get yourself down and get me down. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be here. And I got to thinking, I believe that this malefactor wanted the benefits of Christ, but did not want Christ. And I believe that represents a lot of people today. They want the benefits of God. They want the blessings of God. They want God's anointing on their life, on their family, on their ministry, on their church. But they don't want Him. They don't want Him. I I believe that everybody would go to heaven, or at least they'd say they want to go to heaven, if you say, hey, repeat after me this prayer. But don't repent of your sin. Don't turn to Christ and turn from sin. I believe that that, that so many people would make a, a confession with their mouth to try to go to heaven if they, in their mind, was convinced that they could get to heaven that way. The Bible says repent and believe. Turn from your sin, turn to God. Turn from your sin, turn to God. Turn from your sin to God. You have to understand that you need Him before He saves you. You've got to understand that you're lost before He saves you. That malefactor said, I ain't done nothing wrong. I ain't lost. I don't need the Christ on Calvary. I've got to thinking about that. I notice here, He wanted deliverance from judgment without confession of sin. I noticed that this sinner died with the remedy at sin for right there in his hand. Right there in his hand. There's the remedy. It's literally right here. You can almost touch it. He's been exposed to it. He was around it. But he still busted hell wide open that day. He was right there next to it. I noticed the sinner died with the remedy for sin at hand right before him. And you still rejected Christ. What about you today? Are you lost? Like this malefactor, friend? Are you on that cross of rejection? Are you? If so, Christ can pardon you. And He will pardon you. But the last cross I want to show you is the cross of reception. The cross of reception. Now I personally think this cross of reception was on Jesus' right side because the Psalms speak about God being by His right hand. I could be wrong. But if I made it make sense to me, I'm just an old country boy, i got to make it make sense to me, okay? If, 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 if you get them flip-flop, it's okay. The Lord's going to be just fine with it, all right? It doesn't matter. But that's, that's, just, that's one way I keep up with it, all right? But I noticed on this cross of reception... There was another malefactor that was there. Another felon that committed heinous crimes. But I'm reminded of John 12 and 20, uh, 32. John 12 and 32 where it says, talking about Jesus, he says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And here we see for the first time Christ is lifted up on this cross and He's drawing mankind to Him because now He's drawing this malefactor to Him that's on His right side. He's drawing him. And we'll see. We'll see right there. Um, Let's see if I can find it. 
Verse 40, it says, But the other, the other malefactor answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? I think this malefactor over here understood that he deserved this crime or this punishment of this crime. But he feared God. He says, this, this, Christ is who he says he is. Who is Christ to you? If He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you know in your heart He is the Christ. Do you fear Him? That's a reverential fear. Do you respect and trust Him? He says, seeing thou art in the same condemnation. He's saying, bro, we have the same opportunity right now and you're throwing it away. Verse 41, We indeed, we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man, don't deserve any of it. This man hath done nothing amiss. Now watch it now. This is how I know that. This is how I know this malefactor received salvation. He says one word here. I know you'll grab it. You're smart. Verse 42 says this. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He, he didn't just say, Hey, Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't say, Jesus Christ. Lord. That's surrender. That's submission. All he had was one heart cry. And that heart cry was big. And in one word, he received salvation. You could say a thousand words out of your mouth and still bust hell wide open. But you can believe Lord in your heart and receive salvation. It's that simple. This is the cross of reception. This man is a malefactor. He's a felon. He has committed heinous crimes. Wicked man. Lord. He surrenders to him. What did Jesus do? He just said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you, do you think he would be a hypocrite? Verse 43. And Jesus said unto him, not this guy, this guy that said, Lord, not if you're the Christ, the guy that said, Lord. He looks over there at him. That's what he says. Verily I say unto thee, not ye, thee. The one that, the one that came to me in submission the one that acted in obedience, the one that surrendered his life, he said unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. We're going to die. Me and you, bud, about to go to Abraham's bosom. We're going to be in paradise betwixt us. It's going to be a great gold fix. You'll be able to see hell. Hell will be able to see us. You ain't going there. But this rascal right here, if he don't repent, if he don't submit to me, he's going there. But me and you today, we're going to be in paradise. We're going to be in paradise. I wrote this down here. I want to run this thought and I'll close the message. That malefactor on that cross, he could not hit his knees in prayer. He couldn't get in the right position. That malefactor on the cross received salvation by saying, Lord, he still confessed. 
but his heart was changed. That malefactor on that cross didn't have time to yell for the Roman guards to pick him up, take the nails out of his body, go fill the baptistry, and dunk him. Didn't have time for that. He wasn't baptized. Didn't have a priest come pray over him. He couldn't hit his knees in an altar of prayer. But his heart moved, and he asked the God of heaven to save him. And he was saved instantly. There was no second working of grace. There was no eradication of the flesh. There was no waiting for him to be full of the Holy Ghost to speak with tongues. He was saved in a moment by trusting in Christ. That's how simple salvation is, yet so complex. Because you got all these seminary graduates that just go through and they learn all theologies and this, that, and the third, and we try to make it make sense all the time. But the beautiful picture of the story of the three crosses is God makes it elementary for us so that even a child can understand. The Bible says that we ought to have a childlike faith. My kids, when I tell them something, it's the gospel. I mean, unless I tell them otherwise, they'll believe it. If my kids think I have superpowers, and I say, say for example, I don't tell them I have superpowers, but they're convinced they have superpowers, and I don't tell them otherwise, they'll go to their graves thinking I have superpowers. They just, they just believe that daddy's their superhero. Uh, but, but what I'm trying to say is that childlike faith is trusting that no matter what, he is who he says he is. How about you this morning? Have you trusted him like that? You may have relied on somebody to pray you through, but has your heart turned to him? This morning. What the beautiful picture of this story is, and I'm closing, is that Jesus still gave that man on the other side a chance. He still gave him a chance. Because he says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. I know it's hard to talk on that cross. I've read countless books about it. You have too. About the asphyxiation, where he was, how everything's, you understand. But I couldn't help but think in the hours that would soon pass, this guy right here still had a chance. Today, you're alive. You still have a chance. But you don't know when God will take you home. If you don't have assurance of salvation, I'd make sure it's right. Just a few weeks ago, Mr. Nelson was sitting here and thank God he's saved. I know he's saved. But he wasn't expecting to go this soon. Nobody's expecting to go that soon. Make sure it's settled. I want to see you in heaven. I know you want to see me in heaven. Amen. Amen. Make sure you got your salvation settled this morning. Lord, 